Thank you for listening to the Servants of Christ Jesus podcast. The following talk is given by Brother Thomas Gonzaga. To support the Servants of Christ Jesus, please visit scjesus.org. All right. So I am super excited to talk about something really, really hard <laughs> with you. And, uh, but it's not too hard because it's actually at the core of our faith. And what I'm going to talk to you today about is the cross. So if you ever are like, I'm tired of hearing Brother Thomas, you just want to look up at Jesus on the cross, I think that's a great idea. Okay, because you can get more wisdom at looking at him than anything I'm going to ever say. Um, but the cross and self-denial and penance is an integral part of our community. And what I think God wants you to know is that penance is a means for greater life. Penance is a means, it's not an end. It's a means for a greater life in God, a greater life in the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to dive into that. What does that mean? How can I have more life through penance? Um, Let's begin by opening up to Romans chapter 8. If you know anything about the book of Romans, St. Paul, in the first two chapters, is describing this great conflict that both Jews and Gentiles and Christians find themselves in, and that we are, by nature, sinners, (laughs) and we are in a really bad spot before Jesus. And then Jesus comes, and through faith, we can become righteous with God. We can be made right with God. And so there's this, all this momentum leading up to chapter 8. And then what St. Paul is going to describe is, since the old man has passed away, and I now have a new life in the Holy Spirit, this is the result of the new life that I have in receiving the Holy Spirit. In Romans 6, St. Paul says, do you, you, do you not know that you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus' death will also become one with him in his resurrection through the Holy Spirit, who you receive at your baptism. And so in chapter 8, St. Paul is like this climactic, this is the great gift of the Holy Spirit. You have been made sons of God in baptism and you've received the Holy Spirit. And so in chapter 8, we're hearing of what life in the Spirit looks like. So, um, James, could you begin reading verses 5 through 8 for us? In chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's, to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Thank you. So St. Paul is setting up this dichotomy between flesh and spirit. And by flesh, he doesn't mean that our bodies are bad, right? As human beings, we are both body and soul and spirit. And so he's not talking about our physical body. But when he says the word flesh, he means that inclination to sin, right? Those earthly desires that we all know sometimes rear their angry head too much, okay? And so I don't know about you, 
perhaps walking on your college campus or walking on the streets of New York City, you know, or wherever you are, want more life and peace. Who here wants more life and peace? Right? Because you know the world out there can be really, really hard. And the temptation in the world is really, really difficult to resist. And so St. Paul says in verse 6, to set the mind on the flesh is death. If I operate according to how the world operates, my end is going to be death. But, but, to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And brothers, that's what God wants for you. He wants more life, abundant life. Jesus comes to bring us and more peace. So let's keep, let's continue reading verses 9 through, uh, let's go all the way to verse 13. So what I want to emphasize here is that we've received a great gift of the Holy Spirit from God. And St. Paul will go so far to say that we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you will die. He says in chapter 6 that the wages of sin is death. Okay, So if we give in to this fleshly inclination that we've received since Genesis 3 in the fall, our end will be death. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And this is what we're seeking to do, all Catholics, in the Lenten season. We're seeking to put to death the deeds of the body. The Latin here, put to death, is actually mortificare, which you might have heard the word mortification before. right? So what St. Paul is saying is, If by the Spirit you do mortification, if by the Spirit you do penance, you will live. You will live. So that's the scriptural foundation that I want to kind of set this context in. Uh, We're going to be using chiefly St. Ignatius's own words from the spiritual exercises to understand the the nuts and bolts of penance. So like, what is penance? What does this word mean? Why should we do it? How do we do it? Um, I'm going to be relying chiefly on St. Ignatius um, to kind of help guide us. But this is, this is the promise that we have, is that if we put to death the flesh, we will have more room for the Spirit. Um, I'm going to be sharing with you some uh, intimate things about our community dynamics, things that we don't post on our website, things that we don't broadcast, uh, Quite rightly, because Jesus says, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. But if you are discerning to be a servant of Christ Jesus, it's helpful to know what those words mean in the vision statement where it says we commit ourselves to generous penance, right? That can mean a whole bunch of different things. But I want to give you a small teaching on penance and an insight uh, to what the servants of Christ Jesus do, how we, how we um, live out this generous penance. Um, and so, therefore, I would ask you not to, like, share this stuff publicly um, because it's so intimate to our community. And it's not that we want to keep it a secret, because obviously I'm about to share everything with you. Okay, It's not because we want it to be secretive, but penance can be easily misconstrued and misunderstood. And so if there's not a context like this to where we go through it, like, step by step, and an opportunity to perhaps ask questions things might be misunderstood. Does that make sense? Does everyone think they can commit to that? 
Yes, verbal. I should ask, like, you know, in the airplanes, you're like, I need a verbal agreement if you're in the exit row, right? Can I have a verbal agreement? <laughs> yes, very good, very good, very good. Okay. And the last thing I would say before we jump into St. Ignatius is that um, what I'm offering to you, I intend for it to be a gift. Um, I don't intend for it to be a burden. And so the Holy Spirit has something that he wants to speak to each one of your hearts. And so I just want you to um, take what applies to you and leave the rest. Okay. And if there's any questions, um, any of the servants can be available to answer those questions at another time. Um, either one-on-one or in a group setting. Um, But let's just uh, ask the Holy Spirit um, by saying, come Holy Spirit, to really open our hearts to whatever he wants to say. So just pray with me. Come Holy Spirit. We're open, God, to all that you want to show us today. Okay, very good. So what is penance? Okay, if you're anything like me, growing up, um, the extent of my understanding of penance was this. Every Lent, my family would give up sweets. We'd give up desserts for Lent. That was just like the go-to thing. All four of us would do it. Um, And so I did that growing up um, until high school at least. But I still did it once I graduated high school as well. And uh, I remember I was in fourth grade at uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in uh, Kenner, Louisiana, outside of New Orleans. And at St. Elizabeth, a tradition people had when it was someone's birthday, was that they would bring in cookie cake. And cookie cake was like my favorite dessert. Um, And it was really rare for there to be leftovers, right, after a class of 30 celebration of a birthday. Um, But there was this one day, um, it was during Lent, and I saw someone walking out of the double doors, and they had the big, like, uh, uh, cookie cake box from Great American Cookies. And I saw it, and I made a beeline to that cookie cake. And I said, do you have any extra? Do you have any extra? Because I would really love, love some. And they, and they, they like, it's like a slow reveal, like, ah, you know, and they opened up the top and there was one piece left. And they're like, do you want it? And I said, yes, I do want it. And so I took the piece of cookie cake in my hand. I opened my mouth and halfway in my mouth, before I had closed my mouth, a little voice of the Holy Spirit or conscience said, it's Lent. I was like, no, like, Ah, and so I took out the piece of cookie cake from my mouth and I said, I can't eat this because I've given up sweets for Lent, right? And it was so crushing because never do you ever get free cookie cake. But on that day, God wanted to test my self-denial. And thanks be to God, I resisted um, (laughs) on my own strength. I don't know if there's a lot of grace there. But anyway, um, that was like the extent of my understanding of like what penance was or like what Lent is all about. It's just about, you know, getting rid of these things and I didn't know why. It's just what we did. Um, but since I've entered religious life, I've, I've, I've definitely grown in my understanding of penance. And I've also had a great cloud of witnesses in the families around us. Um, there's a family who had a eight-year-old son named Titus. And Titus, at eight years old, chose to do Exodus 90 with his dad. Does everyone here know what Exodus 90 is? Anybody not know what Exodus 90 is? If not, it's okay. It's like this program of spiritual renewal um, that normally you do like in a group of men and you like take a cold shower and you make sure you get seven hours of sleep and you cut out all media. So you're, you're essentially doing penance. And so Titus Gravel at age eight, like did all of Exodus 90 
And I, we, I remember having him over at our house and we were like, Titus, how's it going? And he's like, it's going really well. Um, but when I'm taking a cold shower, the cold water really hurts my head, you know? <laughs> and But he's like so even like excited about the fact that the cold water hurts his head. And so I heard this and I'm like, wow, I am such a wimp. You know, this eight-year-old kid is doing Exodus 90 and I sometimes complain about the penances that I have to do. Um, and so there's this whole like new culture even around me since I've in a religious life about, about the importance of penance. Um, but like I said, we're going to look at what St. Ignatius says about it. Um, and true to St. Ignatius's normal way, he packs a whole lot into very, very few words, but he gives us one of the most well-developed treatises on penance, in my opinion, of the what is it, um, how to do it, and why. So we're going to dive into that. So if you have your handout that I passed out, um, bring that out. Um, a brief note about context. These are in the section of the spiritual exercises called the additional directions. So in the 30-day, Ignatius will give some additional directions to help the exercitants know how to pray better. So he'll say, like, when you're in the first week, when you're meditating on sin, like, it's even better to close your windows Right, so you don't get too much consolation from the sun. But then when it's like you're in the fourth week and you're celebrating Easter, like open all the windows, right? So those are the type of things that he's saying in these additional directions. And in the additional directions is where he has this section on penance um, in which he will treat it. So, um, Jacob, will you read paragraph 82 for us out loud, nice and slow? The 10th additional direction deals with penance. This is divided into interior and exterior penance. Interior penance consists in sorrow for one's sins and a firm purpose not to commit them or any others. Exterior penance is the fruit of the first kind. It consists in inflicting punishment on ourselves for the sins we have committed. The principal ways of doing this are three. Great. Thank you. So I want to draw your attention to the first distinction that St. Ignatius makes. This is the tenth additional direction deals with penance. This is divided into interior penance and exterior penance. Okay, so Ignatius is dividing between interior, which consists in a sorrow for one's sins, a, a, a mourning of the loss of grace in my soul, and then exterior penance. And he says, exterior penance is the fruit of the first kind. So the idea is that when I realize that I have turned away from the father, like in the prodigal son, we've all been in the situation of being the first son, right? The prodigal, like we heard today at mass. When I've chosen to go away from the father and I've come back to my senses and realized that I've sinned against heaven and against you, father, this arises within me some interior repentance, okay? This is what John the Baptist is calling for. Bear fruit that is befitting of penance, that is befitting of repentance. So that's the first kind. And so when I recognize this, I want to do something to kind of make up for it. And therefore, exterior repentance is a fruit. It's a, it's a following of the first kind, right? So if you think of a tree, the fruit comes and it's a result of the seed, so you can think the seed is like the interior penance, the sorrow for my sin, and then the exterior penance coming as a result of it. And this is why I'm not here yet, 
but you look in the saints' of lives, and the saints are like, I'm such a sinner, right? And therefore, I, I will do penance, I will deny myself, because I don't want to be such a sinner anymore, and I want to make up for it. So that's what Ignatius is saying, that the exterior penance is a fruit of the first kind. Then he says that there are three principal ways of doing this exterior penance. So we're going to go step by step through those three ways. Um, so that's the what is penance, right? It's this interior conviction um, that shows itself in an exterior way. And now we're going to get into the how to do the penances. So Hugo, could you read paragraph 83 for us? The first kind of exterior penance concerns eating. What does it concern? Eating. Everybody together, what does it concern? Eating. Eating. Or you can say food. Okay, so the first way to do penance is by means of altering our food or our eating. Okay, keep going. In this matter, if we do away with what is superfluous, it is not penance, but temperance. We do penance when we deny ourselves something of what is suitable for us. The more we do this, the better the penance, provided only we do no harm to ourselves and do not cause any serious illness. So, the first thing that I want to point out to you is the second sentence. If we do away with what is superfluous, it is not penance, but temperance. Who here can tell me what the definition of superfluous is? Yeah. In excess things that you don't need. Very spot on. An excess of things that you don't need, right? Superfluous, super, going above, above and beyond. So something that's superfluous is extra or it's luxurious. And what Ignatius is saying here is if, if we do away with what is extra, what is a luxury, um, what is not needed, then that's not really penance. It's just temperance, right? And so we're called to be temperate men all the time, um, to choose the mean between um, excess and deficiency in temperance with regard to eating. And so as servants of Christ Jesus, we regularly abstain from beef, alcohol, and dessert, except for Sundays and feast days. So every Saturday night begins the Sabbath into Sunday, and so Saturday night we'll have beef and alcohol and dessert and on Sunday. But Monday through Friday we won't because it's superfluous and we want to be living into a temperate lifestyle um, and also living in poverty and simplicity. We want to do away with what's luxurious. So if all we're doing is getting rid of what is superfluous, such as when I was you know, young and I was just getting rid of desserts, Okay, for a fourth grader, perhaps that is a penance, but like for me now, that wouldn't really be penance, right? That's just temperance. But we must deny ourselves something that is suitable, okay? And by suitable, Ignatius means like something that's adequate, something that's normal or fitting, okay? Then St. Ignatius says, the more we do this, the better, with a caveat. The more we do this, the better, the penance, provided only we do no harm to ourselves and do not cause any serious illness. Okay, I love this uh, because St. Ignatius is so concerned about the health of his sons. And like Father John pointed out to all of us last night in the very first night, he's like, if you have any symptoms, I want to hear about it. Okay, so Ignatius is saying the more we do it, the better, provided that we do no serious harm. 
The idea is not to harm ourselves to where we're debilitated, okay? And that's why Father John wants us to be accountable with him whenever, we do, whenever we're taking on a penance. Um, because it's not about doing serious harm, but it is about causing um, some, as Ignatius will say, like some sensible pain later on, okay? So some examples that are not penance in this area of food would be like soda or sweets, if I'm just giving up chocolate for Lent, probably not penance. Some good examples might be like fasting from meat on a couple days, because that's suitable for most young men. Or like we try and do the great fast, um, or perhaps you'll discern that God wants you to do one day of like bread and water. All of those are getting rid of what something's suitable, but you're not doing it to the fact where you're like causing serious illness, where you're preventing yourself. And Ignatius like had missionaries. So the idea wasn't to do so much penance that then they couldn't, they were like emaciated in their beds, not being able to go out and go and do mission. Does that make sense? Okay. So what is the first type of penance that Ignatius talks about? Food. Very good. Let's read the second kind. August 84. The second kind of exterior penance concerns sleep. It concerns what? Sleep. Good. So the first one is? Food. The second is? Sleep. All right. Sleep. Let's hear about sleep. Here, too, it is not penance when we do, when we do away with the superfluous in what is pampering and soft. But it is penance when our manner of sleeping we take something away from what is suitable. The more we do this in the more we do in this line, the better it is. Provided we do not cause any harm to ourselves. We do not bring on any notable illness. But we should not deny ourselves a suitable amount of sleep, except to come to a happy mean in case we had this habit of sleeping too much. Very good. Okay, so you're hearing the same things over again that I just explained, right? If all we're doing away with, with what is superfluous, this is not penance, it's just temperance. Um, and so in my, what I was trying to think of the examples is like, if I just gave up my heated comforter for Lent, you know, that's probably not penance. If I went from three pillows to one pillow, probably not very penitential. Um, but some suitable form of doing penance might be, um, and this was quoted last night, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So um, there are servants of Christ Jesus right now who are sleeping on the floor. Okay, so perhaps you will discern that God is asking you to sleep on the floor. Um, perhaps you could remove the mattress from your bunk beds at your college and like sleep on the wooden plank. Um, perhaps you could give up a pillow altogether. Um, for one Lenten exercise, I slept outside a couple times, right, under the stars. Um, and so that is doing away with what is suitable, but it's not going to cause me like a serious harm or serious illness. Um, and then the only other thing that Ignatius mentions here is like, with regard to sleep, we don't necessarily have to like say, I'm only going to get two hours of sleep every night, except unless, right, unless we have... Um, the habit of sleeping too much, and then we want to come to a happy mean. So Ignatius, again, is bringing us to this idea of virtue here. So if I'm like sleeping 12 hours every night, there's probably more things I could be doing for the kingdom, okay, if I, if I reduce that to a happy mean um, to find a temperate way forward. Okay, so the first way is food. The second way is sleep. 
The third kind of penance. Collins, will you read paragraph 85 for us? Mm -hmm. The third kind of penance is to chastise the body, that is, to inflict sensible pain on it. This is done by wearing hair shirts, cords, or iron chains on the body, or by scourging or wounding oneself, and by other kinds of austerities. Read the next paragraph, too. The more suitable and safe form of penance seems to be that which would cause sensible pain to the body, and not penetrate to the bones, so that it inflicts pain but does not cause sickness. For this reason, it would seem more suitable to chastise oneself with thigh cords that cause superficial pain, rather than any other way that might bring about a serious internal infirmity. Very good. Okay, so the third kind of penance that Ignatius recommends is called sensible pain. Say that with me. Sensible, sensible pain. pain. And Collins, I loved your reading of this, except... In paragraph 86, all of those words are in capital letters. And so if I was reading it, I would say, the more suitable and safe form of penance seems to be. Right? And why I do that is because, again, Ignatius is not saying here that we're to necessarily kill ourselves. Okay? He wants suitable and safe. He wants suitable and safe. All the while, we should be willing to embrace a certain amount of sensible pain. So I, I want to distinguish between sensible pain where I feel uncomfortable and great harm or great illness that I'm causing to myself. Okay, so he gives some examples. This is done by wearing hair shirts, cords or iron chains on the body, or by scourging or wounding oneself and by other kinds of austerities. But then in, in paragraph 86, he says, the more suitable and safe form of penance seems to be that which would cause sensible pain to the body and not penetrate to the bones, so that it inflicts pains but does not cause sickness. For this reason, it would seem more suitable to chastise oneself with light cords that cause superficial pain rather than any other way that might bring about a serious internal infirmity. And so I make this distinction between sensible pain and serious internal infirmity because um, who here has played a sport before in their life? Have you ever voluntarily suffered sensible pain because of your sport? Yes. Absolutely, right? You go to the gym and it's been a week since you've worked out and you work out and then the next four days you're limping around because you've got so much lactic acid in your muscles that you're really, really sore. Or you're on the football team and your coach is like, it's time to get down and dirty trying to hit, right? So you go and you pummel the guy next to you and you got bruises all over your body the next day, right? Don't tell me that's not sensible pain, right? That is sensible pain, okay? Um, we, as men, will suffer sensible pain for all sorts of things that may not be penance, right? And St. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, athletes deny themselves all sorts of things in order to win a crown that withers, that is perishable. But we strive to win a crown that is imperishable. And so if I'm willing to deny myself for the sake of a sport, if I'm willing to eat a different diet in order to get good gains, right? How much more should I be willing to deny myself for the sake of Jesus? How much more should I be willing to deny myself for the sake of heaven, right? 
And so in a cold shower, uh, that is not sensible comfort, right? That is sensible pain. <laughs> if you've ever taken a cold shower, right, you know that to be in a cold shower, you know, it, it, it's uncomfortable. There's some sensible pain, but I'm not doing anything to internally hurt my body. And uh, if a servant of Christ Jesus is sick, like if they have the cold or the flu, um, frequently Father John will be like, hey, why don't you pause your cold showers? Because it's not about making ourselves more sick, but we want to get to a place of recovery. Um, so I just want to go through these things really, really quickly. Um, a hair shirt um, is kind of like a burlap sack. So it might be like a sack of potatoes. Um, or now I've like been to some weddings where they decorate like the tables with, you know, this burlap is like finely woven together. You know, it's kind of just, it's, or it's like if you took the, the couch material and the way that that works is you wear that underneath your t-shirt. So it's up against your skin. Um, so it's causing some like discomfort as you're walking around, um, but it's not causing any serious illness. Um, it's not even like, there's no, there's no blood, there's nothing. It's just, I feel like I have this itchy thing all the time. Or it's like after you get your hair cut, you know, and the small hairs are on your neck and you're like, ah, that's what that is. That's what a hair shirt is, okay? Um, cords, this might be like wearing a rope, like around your arm or your leg or maybe your waist. And the idea is the same thing. It's kind of uncomfortable, um, but it's not doing any serious harm. Um, iron chains. Uh, in the spiritual exercises, St. Ignatius says, like, when you're in the first week and you're meditating on your sin, it might be helpful to, like, wear an iron chain um, when you first wake up because it helps you to enter in like, I'm a prisoner, right? So it's like a mind and, and body connection. So, like, you might wear some chains to have experience of, yeah, because I'm a sinner, like I'm in chains. So it's, it's kind of to help enter into that. Um, scourging or wounding oneself, um, as he says here, um, with light cords. Um, so this might be done like with a rope or it might be done like with a belt or something um, to imitate Jesus um, in his scourging. Again, not to cause serious pain, uh, uh, sorry, serious illness, but again, to just cause some sensible pain where I'm denying myself. Um, yes. So the first kind is what? Food. The second is? Sleep. The third is? Sensible pain. Good. Any questions before I go on? I wonder, um, so different, you know, different men who are uh, accustomed to different things. Mm. Um, like for one man, the mean might be higher than another man. Mm. Uh, and I wonder how you might um, distinguish mm. between what is penance mm. um, and what is merely temperance. Mm. Uh, because diets are, mm. you know, for a really, really a great athlete needs to eat more. Absolutely. So I wonder how you might distinguish between Good question. Very good. Um, so that's kind of like the same thing with virtue. Is like, how do I know how much to eat for myself, who's like 160 pounds? And then if there's Brother Andrew, who's way stronger and bigger than I am, like he needs to eat more, right? And so the mean for me is going to be different for him. When it comes to penance, I would say, um, is there a pinch? And by that, I mean, does it does it hurt? Am I having to sacrifice something here? Um, uh, because Ignatius says, the more the better. 
provided it does not, you know, cause serious illness. So if I'm like um, giving up dessert and I realize like it's not that hard, like then I should probably add something else. Or if I discern like, okay, every Friday at breakfast and lunch, um, you know, I'm going to give up, um, I'm just going to do bread and water. Um, and that's, that doesn't seem to be very hard. Like I'm not having to like call out for help to God. Then maybe I need to bump it up to the whole day. So it takes some trial and error. And that's something very common in St. Ignatius. It's like, try it, see what the fruits are, and then adjust. So you might need to do more or you might need to do less. And so I think it comes from both like trial and error. And then it's also very helpful to have a spiritual person who you trust, who's wiser than you are, um, like a spiritual director to help guide you in deciding how much. Does that help? Mm-hmm. Hugo? Um, earlier you mentioned something about like when you took the cookie out, yeah. you were like, that was my, how did you say, you were like, that was my, like you did that, but it wasn't like God's grace. Mm. So like, could you talk a little bit, maybe you will later, but like about what role does God's grace have in all of this? How much is me actually doing anything? Yeah. And how much of it is like, I don't know, like what's the ratio or whatever? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, I would say if it's a voluntary penance that I'm choosing to take on, it needs to be all grace. <laughs> it needs to be all motivated from Jesus. Um, and I will talk about that a little bit at the end. Um, I mentioned at the beginning that penance is a means to greater life, um, but we never let penance be the final goal. I'll talk about this at the end, but the final goal is always love. And so therefore it has to be grace. It can't be something that I'm trying to do on my own strength, but that's a really good distinction. So if I don't talk about that, at the end, remind me, and I will. I think you're going to address that at the end. I was okay. going to ask what fruit was born from you, for you from all the things. Yeah, I'm about to share that as well. Good question. Awesome. Okay, so we talked about what is penance, interior, exterior. We talked about how to do it, right? Food, sleep, sensible pain. Now we're going to get into the why. And for me... If I don't know why I ought to do something, then it's kind of fruitless of, of doing it in the first place, right? So if, if a coach told me like, hey, every day I want you to run five miles on the treadmill and then get down and do 50 burpees, I'd be like, why? You know, like, tell me why I need to do that. And then that, that helps motivate me. So why does St. Ignatius say that we ought to do penance? Why are the saints so, so zealous for penance? Um, why should you and I seek to do penance, um, especially during this Lenten season? So Ignatius is going to give three reasons. Um, James, if you'll read paragraph 87 and stop after number one. The principal reason for performing exterior penance is to secure three effects. Number one, to make satisfaction for past sins. Said that so positively, I like it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the principal re- there's three principal reasons. The first is to make satisfaction for our past sins. So this is what you're used to when you go to confession. And the priest says, for your penance, please do X, Y, or Z. Okay? And Father John mentioned at the beginning, like as Catholics, we've gotten a little bit lax in our penances. Okay? 
Uh, I've heard it said from one of my professors that if someone in the early church was caught, caught in adultery, like they were asked to do years of bread and water fasts, right? Because it is such a grave offense against God and it needs satisfaction, it needs healing. And so we can make a distinction, right, between being forgiven, which happens in an instant, and healing, which takes a process. And if you're anything like me, and you've fallen into grave sin in the past, you will know that I can be forgiven in a moment by God, but there are effects that remain. And I need to constantly come before the Lord and with humility and patience, beg him to continue the healing process. Okay, and so a good image that Father John has spoken of before is like, if, if you're playing baseball outside and you're having a great time and you hit a grand slam, but that grand slam happens to go into the window of your neighbor, right, and it breaks the window, you can go over to them and say, hey, I'm really, really sorry I broke your window. Um, please forgive me, right? And, and your neighbor might forgive you, but there's still a debt that is owed in order to fix the broken window. And so with God, right, when we sin, the balances of justice are, are, are tweaked. And so there's something that I need to do to make satisfaction for that sin. And so that's why we have purgatory or what's called temporal punishment. And so Ignatius is saying here that by choosing to do penance, we can make satisfaction for those past sins. So here you see kind of the, the interior penance as the seed bearing fruit in the exterior penance, like Ignatius said early on. Okay. Great. Uh, Alex, will you read number two, please? To overcome oneself, that is, to make our sensual nature obey reason, and to bring all of our lower faculties into greater subjection to the higher. Very good. To make our sensual nature obey reason, and to bring all of our lower faculties into greater subjection to the higher. So Ignatius here is speaking very philosophically. As human beings, we have different parts of our soul. We have the highest part, which is called reason. We have a middle part, which St. Thomas Aquinas will describe as the irascible passions. And then the lowest part, which is called the concupiscible passions. What that means is that we have the highest, which is reason, the middle one, which is like uh, emotion, such as like daring um, and zeal and, and overcoming obstacles. And then we have the concupiscible appetites and passions, which is like our desire for food and sex and drink, right? So the things that help us keep us alive. And normally what happens is if we're not living a life in the Holy Spirit, we're not following Jesus, those get twisted around. And those concupiscible appetites, my desires for sex and drink, tend to rule my reason. And so I see the cake, and I'm like, I've already had ice cream and cookie cake, but I want more cake, right? And I just go for it, and I just eat and eat and eat and eat, and I become gluttonous, okay? Or I have a temptation proposed to me to go online and look at something inappropriate. And when my reason is not properly ordered with grace... I'm very susceptible to that. And so what Ignatius is saying is, I will do penance to make my sensual nature obey reason. So what Ignatius is saying here is that if I can't say no to hot water, how will I ever say no to pornography? 
If I can't say yes to sleeping on the floor, how will I ever say yes to being a temperate, virtuous man? Okay? And so we train ourselves by denying ourselves, using our reason, because my reason can, can literally reason with those lower parts of our body to say, you know what? You've already had three pieces of dessert tonight. Why don't you not have a fourth piece, right? That's when my reason is in control. And so by practicing penance, by denying myself, I can help bring my reason into its proper place, ruling my soul, so to speak, to bring the lower faculties into subjection to the higher. And then, Jack, will you read number three? To obtain some grace or gift that one earnestly desires. Thus it may be that one wants a deep sorrow for sin or tears, either because of his sins or because of the pains and sufferings of Christ our Lord. Or he may want the solution of some doubt that is in his mind. Very good. So this, I, I really like it um, because it shows the generosity of God. So um, in this context, what Ignatius is talking about is um, if I'm in the spiritual exercises and I'm in week three, which is a meditation on Jesus's passion, I want to be entering into those meditations and I want them to be as vivid as possible. I want to feel sorrow for Jesus Christ, the man who has loved me and whom I love. I want to experience the sorrow that he's experiencing. And so I might choose to do a penance in order to bring about that conformity with him, to seek that grace or that gift, okay? But it can also be um, this Lent, God, for example, is calling me to um, grow in humility. That's actually a very true story. So <laughs> that's what the Lord's asking me to grow into this, this Lent is humility. And so I might choose to take on cold showers for the gift or the grace of humility, to show the Lord, like, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to grow in this. And like a good father who sees his son striving to make steps forward, will readily grant that request. And so I can, I can um, do penance for the sake of myself or someone else, even, to grow in a certain grace or a certain gift that I'm seeking or a virtue. And so that's what this third reason why is like, if I desire chastity, perhaps I should offer some penance to supplement my prayer, right? Um, I forget who it is. It might be John Chrysostom um, who says like, prayer knocks at the door and fasting obtains, right? The gift that I'm seeking in my prayer. And so it's supplementing. It's kind of like if I'm, if all I'm, if all I'm doing is, is doing a diet, but I'm not, you know, in the gym working my butt off, then I won't see the results that I desire. And so I need to both do penance and prayer to, to, to grow in the spiritual life. And so that's what we see a lot of the saints doing on a regular basis. So just to recap, um, there's interior and exterior penance, exterior penance being a fruit of the first kind. Um, the ways that we can practice penance is by adjusting our food, adjusting our sleep, or taking on some sensible pain. And the reasons for doing that would be to make satisfaction for past sins, to um, let my lower nature obey reason, my higher faculties, 
and then thirdly, to obtain a particular grace or a gift um, for either myself or for another. Um, so August asked me, like, what has been the fruit of your penance with the servants? And um, I'm really glad you asked, you asked that because I wanted to share you just a little bit of my own testimony. Um, when I came to the servants, I spent a week-long visit in February with the servants in 2015. And um, I came on Friday, and that Saturday was Father James's diaconate ordination. So there was like tons of celebration. We went out to meals. Father John frequently said, don't get used to this, right? Because it's not normal to be celebrating so much and to you know, have all these nice meals. So everything was like pampering and soft. It was awesome. Like, I can do this. I can do religious life, right? Um, and then that Wednesday happened to be Ash Wednesday. And it was really cool because I got to see the community transition from a period of, you know, feasting and celebration into this generous penance of Lent. And uh, I had read through the vision statement, and uh, I was on board with everything. But I remember meeting with Father John. It was either on Tuesday before Ash Wednesday or, or on the day of Ash Wednesday. And I'm like, Father John, tell me about this generous penance thing. Um, and I think it was the night of Ash Wednesday, because we woke up on Ash Wednesday, and the whole community did bread and water. Um, and it was the first time I'd ever done bread and water. And I remember I was shadowing Father Paul going to Bishop Matchbuff High School, and I was like riding in the car with Father Paul, and I'm like, Father Paul, does anyone else in the world do this? Like, I've never heard of anyone doing bread and water. Like, why, why do we do this? And like, no one, like I said, no one else in the world is doing this. My family's not doing this. My friends aren't doing this. But like, people are doing cold showers and, 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 and bread and water. Like, this is weird. Um, and it just, it was, I'd never experienced it before. So it sat kind of uncomfortably with me. And I remember I went to Father John and was talking to him about it that night. And uh, he was like, he, I think he walked me through some of, some of these things. And he's like, well, you know, there's like sackcloth or hair shirt. And I'm like, no, I, I don't know what that is. He's like, you know, like a burlap sack. And I was like, no, no, I, I really don't. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it scared me, honestly, because never in my life had I imagined voluntarily choosing to inflict sensible pain on my, on my body. Um, and so I was, I was overcome by fear. I was overcome by fear and I was overcome by skepticism because I was like, I don't see how this is supposed to work. Um, and I remember like after I finished meeting with Father John, I went to the chapel and I was just praying and I don't exactly remember what the Lord said. Um, but I remember, uh, St. Therese was, was there and St. Therese and Jesus both kind of like smiled at me and were like, why don't you just try it? Why don't you just try it and see? Um, and so I decided to start taking like cold showers. And so it was either that night or the next day, I took a cold shower. And it was my, my first cold shower I'd ever taken. And I was like, this is crazy. Why would anyone do this? This doesn't make any sense. And I got in the cold shower and I turned the water on and I was like, ah, cold, right? And it was uncomfortable. But in that moment, God gave me this grace 
of imagining Jesus at his scourging at the pillar. And I was like, I'm feeling sensible pain on my back. And I'm with Jesus in a closer way than I ever have before. Because he, in the season of Lent and in the upcoming Passion, will be scourged the pillar for love of me. And I, could ima- I was like imagining Jesus with me in my sensible pain, himself being in sensible pain. And that wasn't the first time that that happened. When you come to move into the service of Christ Jesus, you do a whole month of penance and you try different exercises. Like one week you're sleeping on the floor. One week you're um, kneeling at table. One week you're doing cold showers, etc. And I remember like when I was kneeling at the table, um, out of nowhere, I just had this grace of imagining Jesus kneeling at the table with me. And I was united with him in a way that I'd never been united with him before. And again, I was in the cold shower and I'm like, I'm with you, Lord. Like I'm with you in the desert, right? In my fasting, I'm, I'm united to you. And so for me, what I've come to realize is that penance uh, is a means to a greater love, right? The end is not this self-conquering where like, I'm going to prove myself and I'm going to do it even better than he's going to do it, right? The goal is not to exert ourselves. Um, the goal is always love. And so that's why the motivation um, has to be love. Um, and so if you want to be with Jesus in glory, you have to also be willing to be with him in the cross. <laughs> and that's as simple as it gets. Um, Fulton Sheen says, there's no Easter Sunday without a Good Friday. There's no Easter Sunday without Good Friday. And if you are hungering and thirsting for a greater communion with Jesus, then I would invite you to take to prayer the question, Lord, how can I be with you in your suffering this Lent? Because it's, it's at the end of the day, it's about being with Jesus. Thomas the Apostle says in John 11, let us, also go, let us also go that we may die with him. Let us also go that we may also die with him. And so it's about being with Jesus in the desert. It's about being with Jesus at his scourging. It's ultimately about being with Jesus in his crucifixion. And so the greatest fruit that I've seen in my life from doing penance is a greater intimacy and union with the Lord that I didn't know was possible. I didn't know it was possible. Um, And what I'm coming to realize more and more is that God gives us opportunities to embrace the cross, and too often I just want to avoid it. I want to avoid it. But it's actually one of the greatest gifts that he could be giving to us because in the cross is the power of love and is the power of redemption. And so there's this power that is unleashed in suffering that isn't unleashed in just doing ordinary things, right? And so often I just want to skip it. (laughs) I want to skip the cross and just go to the glory, right? But what Jesus showed us on the cross is that the disobedience of Adam and Eve can be undone. The lack of trust that remains in our hearts after the fall can be undone. Through one man's sin, 
Many were made sinners, St. Paul says in Romans 5. But through one man's obedience, many have been made righteous. And so love can be a powerful thing even, in not, even when I'm not suffering. Like I can, I can take a walk for the love of God. I can even eat dessert for the love of God. But then the question is, is there a greatest degree of love? And Jesus says to us at the Last Supper, Greater love hath no man than he lay down his life for his friends. So there's only a degree of love that we can experience that comes from the cross. And the power is in the fact that God himself is love, right? That the Holy Spirit, who is the eternal procession of love from the divine essence, right, starts to live his life in and through us when we deny ourselves. When we put to death the deeds of the body by the Holy Spirit, it empties us so that there's more room for Jesus to live his life in and through us. St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Then he says this, For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake. Why? So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. We give ourselves always up to death, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Brothers, if you want more life, if you want more Jesus, if you want to be more in tune with the Holy Spirit when you're in conversation with someone, we need to make room for him by denying ourselves, by dying with Jesus. Um, the last thing I'll share with you is in John chapter 12. Um, if you want to open your Bibles to John 12, and we'll end with this. In John chapter 12, Jesus has just made his triumphant procession into Jerusalem. Um, it's Palm Sunday. And the Jews have been gathering around Jesus, but now some foreigners, some Greeks, also want to talk to Jesus. And Jesus' whole purpose for his ministry is to bring together all the nations. And so there's some Greeks who want to see Jesus in verse 20. And so... Uh, the Greeks come to Philip and Andrew, who are themselves Greeks, and they say, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Um, and so Philip went and got Andrew, and then Andrew went with Philip, and they told Jesus this. Uh, Jack, will you read verses 23 through 26 of John 12? And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. 
unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus principally is talking about himself here, who, as the bread of life, is going to be a grain of wheat that gets buried into the ground and so produces abundance of fruit. But he's also talking about us. Just as a seed cannot bear fruit unless it dies and is buried, neither can we bear fruit. And so God wants you to be fruitful men. All of you are called to make a gift of yourself. Even today, like before you're married, before you're in your final vocation, like today, God has you in relation with certain people in your life that he wants you to be fruitful with. And so to start imitating Jesus in his own death for the sake of fruitfulness, God is calling you to do. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. He must follow Jesus. And so if we, are will, if we want to be with Jesus in glory, we have to be willing to be with him in his suffering. And so brothers, um, it's not about doing this on our own. It's about doing it with Jesus. And I'd propose to you that if you take on penance in a wise way, discerned well, hopefully with a spiritual person who can help you, you will uh, encounter a greater love than you've ever encountered before. You will encounter greater union with God than you've ever encountered before. Um, and you will taste and see the goodness of the Lord as he brings you through the cross into greater and greater glory. So thank you so much for uh, hearing this talk on penance. And I'm yeah open to any other questions that you have. But that's all I have.